0: Reliving a loss of innocence. Very good. Uh, anyone else? Think of an example from uh, from the arts, from literature, of a uh, loss of innocence. What's that? Stand by me. Stand by me. Okay, tell us about that. Uh, it was the author looking back on his childhood and remembering a, his his loss of innocence through, um, I think, a summer with one of his friends, and they see a dead they go on a journey and see a dead body and. Um then I think we kind of split ways soon after that. Okay. Well, well that's great. Thank you. Uh, anyone else? Separate piece. Separate piece. Tell us about it, Stephen. Well,
1: you know, you just have a couple of
0: Wow, yeah, that's intense. Um, I don't know. Has anyone seen this movie, Mud? Oh, yeah. <laughs> woo, woo! It's a really good movie. But this boy, I mean, he has multiple losses of innocence along the way. Uh, it's a movie with Matthew McConaughey. It's set on the Arkansas River. I think in Arkansas. That makes sense. Um, and uh, and so his parents are getting divorced. There's a loss of innocence there. Um, he uh, he has this, you know, this little girlfriend, this crush, and. And he thinks that they're in love, and she's actually not interested in him. She kind of blows him off, and uh, then you know they live on this riverboat um, on a river. And he loves fishing and getting out on the water. And the the man, the government comes, and they're gonna, you know, for whatever reason, they're gonna they're getting rid of all the riverboats, and his house being seized and destroyed. And so it's just it's just a big theme throughout. It. And so loss of innocence, basically, um, you know, is it, what it. In, in kind of literary terms, it's someone uh, becoming, uh, becoming acquainted with pain and suffering and disappointment for the first time. Uh, if we talk about loss of innocence in theological terms, in biblical terms, what we're, what we're talking about is somebody, uh, an initial recognition of the fall. Like You're becoming aware that the world is broken for the first time. And, uh, and everyone kind of has losses of innocence in their life. There's kind of individual loss of innocence where you find out something, you know, find out the darkness of yourself, find out that you're a sinner. Hopefully that's happened for you. Uh, it certainly happens for me every day. Um, then there's kind of, you know, there's like, there are personal losses of innocence where, you know, someone that you looked up to, they fall. Uh, everyone has a loss of innocence with their parents. Uh, Mary Matthews, she hasn't had a loss of innocence. So.
1: She's also 18 months
0: old, so, anyhow. Uh And then you have these kind of cosmic or corporate losses of innocence, like uh like I remember when I was right out of college i um I was please no one no one judge the legislation, but the uh vote yes tax reform campaign of two thousand and three I was just all into it, I was way into it, convinced that this was going to you know help poor people and uh and i was i like <laughs> showed up for a meeting about it and, and walked out of the meeting as the uh, campaign chair for Hale County, Alabama, age 23. That's because there was no one else who wanted to put up signs in Hale County. That's not because of any credentials. But anyhow, so I was all into it, and I can remember talking to one of my friends on the phone, and I, he was college-educated, nice guy. Presumed presumed that he would be all into it too, and I was like, well, "You're gonna you're gonna vote for this? You're gonna vote yes, aren't you?" And he goes, uh, "No, I'm not voting for that." And I was like, why, why are you not going to vote for it? He said, this going to raise my taxes. And I was like, I'm not going to, don't mention his name. Buddy, um, I, I, you know what, let's think about it. How much is your house worth? It's only going to raise your taxes by $120 a year. It's like, that's $10 a month. I said, think about all this is going to do for the poor people. You know, and, and that's $10, $10 a sacrifice. That's a, that's a, a, a six-pack of beer, of good craft beer, you know, <laughs> that you can sacrifice one month out of the year. One time a month. He goes, That's not a six pack of beer, I'm willing to give up. And it was like crushing. And what was also crushing is the person I worked under for this campaign, uh, two years later, uh, I ran into him, we we're talking, he goes, You know, that was that was such a stupid thing. That was such a stupid piece of legislation. I can't believe I was all into that. It's like that it was you know, it was all it was it was so poorly designed and so poorly anyhow, and I was just like crushing and so uh, so anyhow, everyone has, you know, especially in your 20s when you're all idealistic about the world changing And you have that like crushing blow, it's like, oh, politics is <laughs> not very inspiring <laughs> So anyhow, so you get, what we're, we get a little bit what we're talking about So we have this song, um, and there are lyrics uh, kind of dispersed throughout the, um, throughout the room here uh, And this is a song from the 1980s, I think it's 1987 by Don Hemley, one of the former members of the Eagles uh, and It's called The End of the Innocence And uh, he, you you we're going to see in this song kind of two two layers of loss of innocence. At the beginning, there's going to be kind of an individual loss of innocence, and then the second stanza, there's going to be kind of a corporate loss of innocence. And so what we're going to look at here is um, basically responses to loss of innocence, or responses to the broken world, responses to the fallen world. That's that's kind of in a nutshell what we're looking at. We're going to listen to this song first. Okay. there um all right so look at this song and uh you know some people debate everyone agrees on the second stanza some people debate the first stanza all depends on whether you uh you hear the word fly or lie in the first stanza but um basically it looks like in the first stanza what's going on here is that he is observing the divorce of his parents it starts off with this um you know remember when the days were long Rolled beneath a deep blue sky. didn't have a care in the world, with mommy and daddy standing by. So do you remember back then when everything was fine? Remember back when I, you know, there were, there was no anxiety, there was no stress, there was no disappointment, there's no pain. And then there's this turn, you know, with the word but. And by the way, it's interesting. The, the etymology of the word innocence it comes from the Latin word na, na, nacchio, nacui, uh, which means to wound. So to be innocent is to be unwounded. And uh, and so you can see here that what uh, a loss of innocence is often you know a first wound Um, and so you see here in this second stanza happily ever after fails you know you hear that term happily ever after oftentimes you know at the end of a rom-com or a fairy tale and the prince rescues the princess and they live happily ever after right well he says happily ever after fails like it doesn't work that way Um, we've been poisoned by these fairy tales so we've been we've been harmed by this sense of idealism. Um, the lawyers dwell on small details since Daddy had to fly. So we can look at that. You know, lawyers probably divorce lawyers settling settling a divorce, small details since Daddy had to fly. So there's a separation between Mom and Dad. And so we can see here that his parents' divorce um, is a, is an individual loss of innocence for him. It's uh, it's a turn where he sees the difficulty of life for the first time. Um, And then we'll skip the chorus and go down to the next stanza The next stanza is more of a kind of corporate, political, cosmic loss of innocence And what he's really talking about here is he's talking about the Reagan administration Um, He uh, says now, uh, you know, oh beautiful for spacious skies So he starts with these lyrics from America the Beautiful Kind of talking about looking at the ideals of uh, of American life and the American government and so on and so forth Um, but then he says, they're beating, but now those skies are threatening. So some would say this is kind of a reference to either uh, militarism or the threat of nuclear war um, uh, because of the uh, you know, weapon, weapons and arms buildup of, of the 80s under Reagan. It's interesting, he makes a reference to Isaiah in the, se- in the third line there. It says, they're beating plowshares into swords. In Isaiah 2.4, it talks about um, beating swords into plowshares. And it's what you'd call an eschatological verse, which that means is a verse that looks to, uh, to the end of the world in a positive way, when everything will be made right, when the world will be fully peaceful, there will be no conflict, there will be no uh, sadness or difficulty, and, and he turns it in on itself. Because in that image in Isaiah 2, 4, it says they're beating their, their swords into their plowshares. Basically, they're getting rid of their weapons, they're putting their weapons down, and they're just going to the plows because they don't have to worry about war they don't have to worry about threat. They can just peacefully farm their land and raise organic cucumbers, right? Because um, that's, that, you know, that's that's what we're all after. Um, but instead, he's saying that we're getting rid of our plowshares and picking up our swords. And then he goes on to say, for this tired old man we elected king, that's a, a negative reference to Ronald Reagan. Guys, that was the president in the 1980s for those of you here in junior high, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh armchair warriors often fail, so kind of this disenchanted view of politicians we've been poisoned by these fairy tales again, by these american ideals we've been we've been poisoned um, and the lawyers clean up um, clean up all the tales that you know, probably refer to lawmakers since daddy had to lie. a lot of times people refer to Ronald and Nancy Reagan as mommy and daddy and so since daddy had to lie, so there's that repetition there. but anyhow, so now this is a you know, uh, I had these ideals of what America should be, and in his, his experience, he is frustrated that Reagan uh, is militaristic, has built up arms, and that we're not focusing on, you know, the domestic policy and the poor and farming, things like that. that this is Don Henley. This is not Cameron Cole, necessarily. Um, but, um, but anyhow, so you can see. You can see this is a song about lost innocence. Well, now what we look at is his response to the difficulty of the world, response to fallenness and brokenness. And he says, I know a place where we can go that's still untouched by man. Uh, We'll sit and watch the clouds roll by and the tall grass wave in the wind. Can anyone, how would anyone, you might have a word to describe that response. Escape, escapism, yeah. Hey, there's all this difficulty in the world. Let's go out. Let's go sit in a grassy field. Let's watch the clouds roll by. Okay, so Let's kind of remove ourselves from reality. Now, hey, there's something good about that. I mean, hey, who's going? To, who, who, who needed a vacation this summer, right? I've got one coming after the mystery trip. Um, no, just kidding. Just kidding, guys. Anyhow, um, <laughs> but I do. Um, <laughs> but, um, but anyhow, so yeah, taking a vacation is good. You know, hey, Sabbath, a, a day away from work, a day to just kind of enjoy God, enjoy relationships, enjoy your life. And so, there's nothing wrong with escape. But that's not a complete solution, you know. We can't all go to Walden Pond. Um, we can't we can't just run away from the world. And uh, and then, but the end of the end of the the, the chorus um, is generally a little bit uh, depressing. Uh, you know, he says, offer up your best defense, but this is the end. Like this is the end of the innocence. And when you see um, you see the I didn't play it, but the last stanza also is generally pretty defeatist. It's pretty. Uh, it's it, he, he. It's it's uh, kind of despair has the upper hand uh, at the end of the song when he talks about um, uh, somewhere back in the back there in the dust that there's that small town in each of us. I need to remember this. So baby, give me one last kiss and let me take a, a long last look before we say goodbye. That say goodbye is not just a goodbye to the girl that he's smooching on. Um, that goodbye is kind of a goodbye to the i to innocence. A, a goodbye to the hope of a perfect world. And so, so anyhow, so this is Don Henley, this is his communication of a loss of innocence, and this is his response to it, and you generally say it's kind of escapism and despair. And so um, what we find um, is there, are, there can be two extreme reactions to difficulty in life, uh, to becoming acquainted with the fallenness of the world. And one is the keep on the sunny side response okay that's uh, this is basically basically let's just be positive let's just be positive let's remember the good things let's smile you know anyone ever heard the bluegrass song keep on the sunny side the chorus is you know keep on the sunny side always on the sunny side keep on the sunny side of life it'll help us every day it'll lighten our way if we keep on the sunny side right and so, basically, one is an extreme overreaction in a positive direction. To say, everything's fine. Let's just be positive, right? Um, Norman Vincent Peale, some of you may be familiar with this. Is, I think I, you know, I think this is considered a Christian book. And that was basically his approach. Like, let's just be positive. Let's, positive thinking. I know someone who, this was their book. They read it, like, every year. And uh, they went into a job where they encountered a lot of suffering. They saw a lot of awful things. They are no longer a Christian. Um, and then Joel Osteen, who I'm sure is a nice guy, um, and, but this is basically Joel Osteen's theology is, um, well I'll read, I'll read you his theology, this is from his book, Your Best Life Now, um, and this is what he says, he says, happiness is a choice. When you get up in the morning, you can choose to be happy and enjoy that day, or you can choose to be unhappy and go around with a sour attitude it's up to you. If you make the mistake to allow circumstances to dictate your happiness, you miss out on an abundant life. Okay? And, and you know, there is some truth in that, in that uh, in Christianity, your joy and your peace and your hope is not dependent on circumstances. Uh, you know, the presence of God in your life, the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the remembrance and the reality of the gospel, um, that does transcend your circumstances. And... Uh, it's just not as easy as choose to be happy, right? I mean, let's go talk to the North Korean Christians who are in concentration camps right now and who, you know, they've been told that their families have been killed because they profess professed Christ and they are starving and they'll never get out of this prison and just sit down with them and pat them on the knee and say, choose to be happy, right? You're starving to death, just choose to be happy. That's, that's, that's cruel, that's right, and that's why... Uh, that's why I would say that this theological bent is cruel. Um, there's there's some there's a half truth in it that there is there is something positive to dwell on, but it's cruel to say to people who are suffering deeply, hey, just choose to be happy. All right, that's insulting. All right, next. Um, now, <laughs> this is a this is an old, now listen. I'm sorry. I, I I debated on whether to use that word, and if that offends you, I really apologize. But there was a reason I used that word. There's another bumper sticker that says. Life is tough, and then you die. And you know what? It's, it's more than tough, right? People who are really struggling, it sucks. Sorry. Sorry if that's offensive. Um, but that, you know this is, this is an over-extreme over reaction uh, to despair, to not remember anything positive, not remember any of the truth of the gospel, not remember any of God's promises, and just everything is bad. Uh, there's a great little hee haul video <laughs> for my He-Haw fans. Got any He-Haw fans in the house? Yeah, bring it home. All right, this is called... Bring a little light money to, All right, this is Gloom. Uh, oh, wait a minute, hold on. All right, you know, gotta keep it, gotta keep it light, right? This is heavy. If you couldn't understand that East Tennessee twang, that's gloom, despair, and agony on me. And there's one other here. If anyone's seen Wedding Crashers, uh, John John Ryan has his heart broken. He has his heart broken. You know, the love of his life, you know, does not want him in her life, and and he's so depressed. So he's giving some uh, love life advice to the children at a wedding. And uh, here's what he says:
1: Love doesn't exist.
0: That's what I'm trying to tell you guys, and I'm not picking on love, because I don't think friendship exists anymore. <laughs> <Okay>. Alright, <laughs> right. so, so, anyhow, we, you know, whether it's secular people, whether it's Christians, we can go to the other extreme and just go all despair and forget, you know, forget the promises of God. And here's what Christianity has to say. Christianity, and I gotta tell you, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're a, you're a seeker, you're exploring this, or you're not even sure why you're here, or if you're talking to people who are not Christians, this is something that I think is extremely attractive about Christianity, is how honest and realistic it is. Because here's, here's, what, um, here's what John says, and, and right at the beginning he says, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So he's saying there is darkness, and there is light. You know, darkness is evil, Satan, fallen world, Light is, is God uh, and, and Jesus. And darkness has not overcome it. Light has the upper hand. So it's, you know, it's acknowledging both. Jesus. Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three, In this life you will have trial and tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So it's saying, hey, Jesus, out of his own mouth, saying his disciples, it's not you may have trial and tribulation, you can, it might happen, you will. Indicatively speaking, it's going to happen. Life is going to be difficult. Let's be, you know, G- Jesus knows better than anyone about the fallenness of the world. And so Bonnie says, but, but, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so it's a yes and a yes. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, there, there is disappointment. There is reason to despair. And yes, there is hope. Uh, there is redemption. And, and both of those, those two things coexist. And redemption has the upper hand. Um, think about what is the symbol of Christianity. It's a cross. Like, we throw it out there completely honest. Like, hey, instrument of torture on which people were unjustly executed, in which people were tortured and humiliated publicly. This is our symbol. Okay? So we call, it, we call a spade a spade. Life is really, really hard. Life is really, really painful. And in that cross is victory. Like, in that cross is ultimate redemption, in that cross is hope, in that cross is love. So Christianity says yes and yes to both of those. Um, the uh, the kind of root, the etymology, which etymology, what that means is where a word comes from. Um, but the etymology of gospel, uh, gospel in Greek is evangelion. And the, like how that word was used contextually was uh it was uh, if there was ever someone had a political victory and there was an announcement that that person had won and assumed a new office then there was an evangelion that was the announcement of victory or if there had been a victory in a war someone had won a war uh, there would be uh, a messenger to come back and announce the evangelion the good news that we have won the good guys won and so um, you know as we think about this tension between the fallenness of the world and the redemption of god uh, you know the gospel is an announcement that, yes, there is fallenness in the world, but Jesus has overcome sin and death. Jesus has won. Light has the upper hand. And so it's, it's honest in both ways. All right, so what we're going to look at here is moving into like kind of, okay, great, that's beautiful, Cameron. Um, how does this practically influence my life? Well, now we're going to look at uh, the Psalms. And one of the genres of Psalms, the types of Psalms, are laments. There are lots and lots of laments in the Psalms. And, uh, l- the, l- and the laments there is usually a very honest, transparent e- expression of the difficulty of life. Um, and, and mixed in with that is, um, is there, you know, remembering God's character, remembering God's redemption. And so this is Psalm 3, this is a lament, and you're going to see how, um, how the author acknowledges both. Um, all right, verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Okay, so that is acknowledging the fall. (laughs) I've got a lot of enemies. My back is against the wall. I am afraid. Uh, This is very difficult. And there are people who are against me, and they're saying, you have no hope. You will not be delivered. Okay, so a very honest acknowledgement of the fall. Now he goes and he remembers the gospel. Which, when I say the gospel, it's a remembrance of God's character and God as a Savior, and God as a Redeemer. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Okay, so he remembers that God is a protector. He remembers that God is the one who encourages him, that he is his glory. He's someone that he can call on. He is a friend that he can lean on. And then he goes on to say, "I lie down and sleep; I wake again because the Lord sustains me." So he has peace in the midst of, in the, midst of the difficulty. In the midst of remembering the gospel, he has peace. I lie down in the midst of this difficulty. Um, I will not fear through the. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Remembering the fall, arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. And so as he remembers both of those things, his response is to pray in faith, remembering God's promises, and to trust God. That's the reaction. I see the difficulty. I remember the gospel. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray to God and I'm going to trust God. Um, And I say pray in faith intentionally. I mean, he's praying in a way where he's remembering who God is. He's remembering what God does. Um, Another psalm. Your Bible's uh, uh, Psalm 86. Sorry, we didn't have enough. Uh, but it's in the middle of your Bible. It's on page uh, 924. And what you're going to see here is that um, this prayer of David, how he, there the again, these three things that he does. One, remembers the difficulty. Two, remembers the gospel, God's character and God as a redeemer. And three, praise and praise and trust the Lord. Okay? And you're going to see him kind of this is, uh, if anyone here is, an, is a, uh, an abstract thinker, this will affirm you. Because he's all over the place. There's not like, uh, point one, point two, point three. It's, it's really an intermingling of all of it. And so, uh, in, in uh, verse one, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. So he's praying to God to hear me, but he's acknowledging, I am poor and needy. So he's acknowledging the difficulty. Now he comes to, he's going to pray and trust the Lord in these next three verses. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my servant, save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Okay, so now, so he's praying. He's trusting God. Um, now, he goes on to remember the gospel. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. So he remembers God's love and loves God's goodness. Then he goes back to pray. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. Then he goes back to remembering the gospel in these next three verses. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You, are, you alone are God. Now he goes back, and he's going to pray, pray in faith again. Teach me your way, O Lord, And I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And now he's going to remember the gospel. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Now again, he's going to go back. He's going to remember the difficulty of life. He says, The arrogant are attacking me, God. A band of ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for you. Okay, so again, you can see he's being totally honest here, going to God with it. And um, I'm just going to, I'm going to just, you kind of get the idea it's a long psalm. Um, but, um, but anyhow, so, you know, as far as us, when we encounter difficulty, disappointment, um, you know, whether that's you're a teenager and you have your heart broken for the first time, or uh, you're a 20-something and you're very, very, you know, You're on a campaign and you so believe in this candidate and you find out that he's a crook (laughs) or whatever it is, whatever your disenchantment is, we see here that in the Psalms there's a really um, helpful uh, approach to how we encounter it. And that is, again, being honest. We can be honest about the difficulty. Secondly, we need to remember the character of God. We need to remember the gospel. We need to remember what Jesus has done. And then finally, we need to do this all in a way where we, we take it to God. We, we you know, Look how honest David is about the difficulty in his life with God. He tells God. Um, and then he, and he trusts the Lord. So anyhow, so that's, kind of, that's a helpful roadmap. Now, practical applications for the yes and the yes of Christianity. Um, the first is the yes and the yes of Christianity uh, allows us to have realistic expectations about life. And like young people, uh, I think a lot of times when I was a kid, and I don't know if this was because I was hearing what I wanted to hear or I, I was taught wrongly, but I had this idea that if I was if a faithful follower of God, then that meant that things were going to work out. You know, I was going to succeed. I wasn't going to fail. Uh, the girl that I had a crush on was going to want to be my girlfriend. And, uh, you know, and I was, uh, was going to be happy. And that is, that is not at all what Jesus has to say or what the Bible has to say about life. I mean, Jesus says, there will be trial, there will be tribulation. So, you know, a lot of people lose their faith when they get into their 20s or their 30s and something really bad happens. And, um, and, and, that, and, you know, and that's because they had an expectation that life was meant to be more comfortable. And, you know, hear me, it's going to be re- bad things are going to happen. It's going to be really hard, and God is honest about that. And there will be a day when everything's not going to be bad, when Jesus comes back and, and the world is made perfect, um, but in this life, it's going to be difficult. So don't, don't be like, what happened, God? Because we're, here we are telling you, it, adults, Bible, Cameron, all telling you uh, it's going to be hard. Okay? Um, second thing, uh, it gives us the freedom to acknowledge problems and to get help in light of potential disappointment. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I see a, a lot of parents who just, you know, they, we all, you know, our, our children are our babies, right? And we see them as the, you know, the cute little one-year-old with the passy in their mouth. And, you know, that's, that's Johnny. And Johnny has, you know, Johnny has the white blonde hair and so on and so forth. But, you know, Johnny's, Johnny's 16 now, okay? And, and we don't, you know, it's, it's something you don't want to give up, right? It's something that you don't want to give up that this is your baby, but your baby's actually, you know, emerging to be a young adult. And so a lot of times when kids will have problems, you know, it, we kind of want to, like, oh, well, Johnny got, you know, got caught drinking by the cops three times. But, you know, that's just boys being you know, boys. I, I found marijuana, but I think he's just experimenting, and that's what teenagers do. Uh, you know, I found, a, you know, a $200 worth of liquor underneath his bed, but I don't think he's really a partier. I think he just made this one mistake. It might just be that Johnny's an alcoholic, okay? It might be that Johnny needs to go to rehab, Okay, so that's it. or I see this a lot with porn. Uh, parents don't want to put a filter on that. Sorry, I don't mean to indict you if you're a parent. I'm just kind of speaking speaking into what I see as real-life experience. You know, well, my, my son, my daughter, they don't look at inappropriate things on the Internet. You know, I mean, he's, he's still so young and, uh, you know, he's 15 and I don't, he's not looking at porn on the Internet and we don't need a filter. Well, maybe, maybe your son is one of the 5% who's not looking at porn on the internet. But regardless, you know, you probably need to acknowledge that there's difficulty in the world, and your son's a sinner, and we're all going to make mistakes, and you need a filter on your computer. Uh, so if Johnny is getting into that stuff, you can help Johnny. And you can put up some boundaries, and, you know, we can, we can do what we need to do. So, so that's, that, that's where, where this might practically impact our life. Or uh, for our own problems, right? Um, I know a lot of people... Uh, when bad things happen, they don't want to acknowledge them. Uh, I I know someone who they had had multiple miscarriages and their husband's advice was, you know, stay strong. You know, keep a smile on your face. You've got to be positive. Um, And that person just kind of tucked it away, tucked it away, you know, stay positive, let's smile, until their hair started to fall out. Yeah? You know, like, what the Bible says is we can be honest. Like, when we're really disappointed, when we're depressed, uh, when we've been wounded, we've been violated, we can, we can name it because Jesus has the upper hand, because redemption has the stronger word than brokenness. And so this word enables us to acknowledge the truth about the difficulty of our life and to get help, to get help. Um, and then a, uh, a last thing, what this enables us to do, is it gives us the ability to minister to people who are in suffering in, in a, a refreshing and helpful way. Uh, Everyone you know when you have someone has had a uh, you know they found out they have cancer or there's been a death you know no one really knows what to say right that's what everyone says I don't know what to say and um, you know you can you you know the yes and the yes is very informative it's instructive because you don't have to just say, say hey a lot of goods gonna come out of this or throw them a Bible verse you can you can you can say this must really be awful like you must be really be scared I'm really sorry I hate this Okay, the, 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 um, and you can also say, and God is with you. You can acknowledge both the difficulty and you can acknowledge the hope. Um, and I can remember someone, someone saying to me after Cam died, just got to be positive. Just stay positive. And I was like, I didn't say anything. <laughs> but internally, but internally, I, I, I was, it kind of made me angry. Um, and so, um, yeah, it enables you to cry in front of someone who's really suffering. That's an okay thing to do uh, because you're, you are acknowledging the truth that, that they're in pain and you're in pain because of it and, uh, and you can cry, especially knowing that there is good news, that, that Christ has the upper hand in all of this. So um, I think we're out of time. We have like two minutes. Does anyone have, anyone have a question, thought, letter to the editor? Yes. Uh, that song, is on the same side.
1: Uh, it may be more of uh, a gospel illustration than we realize. Uh, this is a storm and it's fury broke today, freshly hopes that we cherish so dear. Clouds and storms will in time pass away, and, heat, and the sun again will shine and bright and clear. And then this other one verse says, Let us read the psalm of hope each day that the moment cloud is fair. Let us trust in our Savior always and keep everyone in his care. So he
0: does acknowledge, it does acknowledge it. There's a dark, there's a dark side. side of life, but uh, when, you know we meet the darkness and I don't know. Keep on the sunny side, always on the sunny side. I don't, know. I don't know. I don't always want to stay on the sunny side. That'll drive me crazy. Anybody, anybody else? Anyone else? All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for us. Thanks for coming. All right, Lord, uh, thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness. Thank you, Christ, that you have, uh, you have fully encountered. Um, darkness. You've fully encountered sin and death and on our behalf and that you've won. And so uh, I pray, Lord, that we would be hopeful knowing you've won, Lord. And I pray that where we need help, we would ask for it. And I pray where we're um, discouraged and disappointed that we could acknowledge that, God, and express that. Um, and I pray in all this, Lord, we would take it to you. I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.